Bibles, turn with me to the last chapter of Acts. If you've started the year with us, then you have made it through uh, the book of Acts today with us as we uh, finish the story of the early church. And uh, it, it's a pretty neat thing. I was uh, reminded this week as I was studying and preparing about how easy it is to get lost in some of the details and, and forget the big picture. Uh, one of my favorite movies growing up was Karate Kid, like the 1984 version. Uh, the original, if you're with me, uh, I was eight years old when it came out and dressed like Ralph Macchio uh, whenever I could because I felt like that was what you were supposed to be. I don't know how many kids signed up for karate that year, but two in my house did uh, that year. It was a big, big deal. And, and, and I, I remember in the movies, um, the first time watching it out, uh, since, since then, the unique uh, ways that Mr. Miyagi trained Daniel by uh, painting the fence and painting the house and waxing and, and wax on and wax off and, and sand the floor. And my first thought as a parent is, that's so brilliant. If you need to practice karate, you can come to my house and do that. But as a kid, I'm, I'm thinking, I know this, this is important, but it doesn't make sense. And then there's a scene when Daniel wants to give up. And he said, I've done all this for you. You know, what do I do now? And then Mr. Miyagi says, show me, wax on, wax off, paint the house. And all of a sudden you see that all of those things were coming together to train him. And it almost makes you forget that in the beginning, it was Daniel who said, would you train me? And at the end, we see through these series of incredible moments of a movie how it all comes together. And, and, and believe it or not, in a more incredible way, that's what the book of Acts is, is to me. It, it's, a, it's a story of so many individual things that God did in the life of Paul, in the life of Peter, in the life of the early church. These moments that are remarkable that are only God-honoring, that are completely pointing to him. And so it's easy to forget that the story of the early church is, is the story of God's promise being fulfilled. It's not just some, some cool things where Paul brought someone to life or, or some cool things about how Peter opened the door and followed the angel's instructions to meet Cornelius. It's not just a book of little things, but instead... It starts with the command of God. If you were to go back in your Bible to Acts chapter 1, you'd remember that the Bible said this and the words of Christ recorded. When they came together, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And, and in that moment, the promise of Acts is kick-started. You see, the whole book of Acts, the, the story of the early, early church, everything that comes in it is about this moment. It's the Lord Jesus Christ saying, you don't need to be worried about what's ahead, but instead, I want you to know what your life can be a part of and will be a part of because you're tethered to me. And church, when I read Acts chapter 28, I was reminded of this tethering. You see, in your life, if you claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, maybe you remember the moment you gave your life to him, the moment you surrendered. But since then, life is a series of events 
that you're trying to survive, endure, live up to, whatever it would be. And it's easy to start seeing our life in, got a job, got married, had kids, survived that sickness, um, changed jobs, had a purpose, graduated college, um, went through a season of marriage and God restored us. It's just easy to section off our life and, and to believe that God and the Holy Spirit are somehow sprinkled in to our story. But what Acts reminds us of is that it's really the opposite that's true. It's that God has laid out this amazing, beautiful reality, his story, one that is unchangeable, it is not alterable, and his invitation to the church is come be a part of that. His invitation is, listen, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit sets upon you, when you come into my story through the Holy Spirit. And, and let me tell you what life will be like when you receive that type of power. You can't help but be a witness for me. You're going to be a witness close to home. You're going to be a witness in your community, and you're going to be a witness all around the world, and you're going to be my witness in my power, in my life. In other words, he says, get your eyes off the floor and look up to me. And this is the recap that our life is given to the gospel story that we are invited in to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, here's something amazing as we look into Acts 28. If, if you look at what Acts points to, how it talks about the story of God, how it leans into Jesus Christ, you will find that God is fully sufficient, not only for the needs of man, but for the needs of all creation. And his work is redemption. If, if you were to go online, uh, you, could, you could Google this, you could get around it however you want to, and you were to just search for what are the primary needs of, of humankind, of mankind, men and women? What, what are, what are the, the most fundamental needs? Every single study you find that's written, um, that's any kind of reliable, but even many that aren't, will boil down to two things. Safety and security and significance. That that is, is what every human on the face of the earth, every man, woman, boy, and girl, if you have safety and security, physical, mental, emotional, and significance, that those are the two voids in our life, those are the two drivers in our life that we are searching for in order to have a life that's full. Safety, security, and significance. And, and in that, what the book of Acts shows us is that's not a man-centered idea. I think it's pretty clear that God created you and me with a deficiency. A deficiency in our life, a deficiency in our story that would draw us to search for what could provide security, and significance in our life. You see, if we were to, to look at the book of Acts, we, we would see that all over, but let's pause in Acts chapter 28, verse one through six. If you have your Bible, turn there with me and let's, let's kind of walk into this, see how God allows this to unfold together. 
After we were brought safely through, we learned, this is Paul, uh, Luke writing about Paul and the others. They've been on the boat, they've crashed, they've made it onto shore. They learned that the island was called Malta and the native people showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and it was cold. And Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, he put them on the fire, and a viper came out because of the heat and fastened to his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, Paul shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. And they were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited for him a long time, they saw no misfortune and come to him. They changed their mind and they said that he was a God. And this is one of those moments, I, I've, as I've read about it this week, there are many, many people who say, well, this wasn't really a viper. It was just like a grass snake and they were just confused and they realized it wasn't it. Listen, I, I don't know the difference. I've never like been bitten by a viper and by a grass snake, but I'm pretty sure I would know the difference and I don't live around snakes. And and let me tell you what else. If you get bit by a snake that I know is not venomous and you're not hurt, my first reaction is not to worship you as a god. Amen? You follow me on this one? So, so as, as I looked at that and kind of wiped off all the garbage of explaining how or why God works or, or how he is less than he is, what I really leaned into is this, is that this pattern we see all throughout the book of Acts. We see men and women go from thinking one thing to immediately thinking another thing. Paul, justice, you haven't escaped it. You're toast. Five minutes later, you're a god. Do you remember in, in Lystra, right? In one moment, man, you're Zeus, you're Hermes. We're gonna worship you. The Jews come into town like they are not who you think they are. Stone them. It's just, it's this Switch that flips up and down. If you were to read in the Old Testament, the book of First and Second Kings and Chronicles, what you would see is, is God's people saying, we're with you. And then they lose a battle and they're like, oh, but we want some help from the Egyptians. Isn't it interesting how quickly we flip the switch? Why do men flip the switch so quickly? I believe that men and women are trying to fill that undeniable gap of security. You see, they, they want to understand how it works. They want to lean into it. They want to have something to put their footing into because it makes sense. If a viper bites somebody who just survived the ocean, it, it makes sense. Something good is going on here. If something bad happens, something good. We're just, we're trying to figure out what's the footing to understand who's a good person, who's a bad person. We're trying to understand what that, that unfillable void of security, where we can stand upon. Because if we can just become a master of our circumstances, then we become in control. Let me take you back to Exodus to, to show you this thread through history. Moses is up on the mountain talking with God. He's getting the Ten Commandments. Are you with me if you know the Bible story? Pillar of, of, of clouds are around it. If you touch the mountain, you're gonna die. 
Thunder is rumbling. People are at the bottom. God's people who he just got out of Egypt, remember, with all of the plagues. Remember how he parted the Red Sea. God's made himself very obvious, very evident to these people. They're like, we're all in. Moses is gone for a couple days. And guess what they do? Well, we don't know what to do. We need to make something to worship. So they gather all their gold together and they form golden calf and they worship it. Moses comes down and he says, Aaron, what are you doing? Do you remember what Aaron says? Man, we threw the gold in and a, and a cow popped out. <laughs> That's never true. That's ne <laughs> that never happens. Mailboxes don't jump out of the, in the middle of the road. I'm just saying, you're with me? That those things, that those aren't real. What we're doing is we're flipping the switch, trying to say, well, we were insecure and so we kept looking for security. And since you were our security up there, we wanted security down here. So wherever I can find it, church, we look for the same footing the same way because there is a fill, unfillable void in our life that God has created that wants us to to be secure influence affluence whatever kind of security men can get we go for it affirmation acceptance if you were to pause right now and think of your life in the shadow of God's story, that he has made you to need security, that he has made you insufficient to control your own life, your own destiny, much less that of others, in order that you might seek him and find him, Scripture says. My question would be this. What are you looking to give you security right now? Are you, are you slave in a way 90 hours a week in order to have security financially? Are, are you worshiping financial security? And, and when financial security fails you, you think, well, God might not, must not be happy, so I need to look for security maybe in my marriage. I, I, need, I need security here. So as long as my routine stays the same, as long as this happens, as long as this is here and there's security here, I can find footing there. But, but let me tell you something about marriage. It's anything but mundane, amen? Marriage is outstanding. Marriage has plateaus and marriage has valleys. If marriage is your security, if your husband or wife is your security, then you're trying to fill that God-filled void that the book of Acts is showing us over and over and over, only the gospel fills in, a, in an imperfect individual. Hey, this, is, this is free marital help right now. I want you to turn. If you're married and in this room right now, turn and look at your spouse and say, I'm going to disappoint you this week. Right? Come on. Some of you are like, well, you didn't even have to say that, Pastor. It's Sunday, 11. It's already happened three times, Right? So, so follow me. When you and I seek imperfect things for perfect security, what's going to happen? We're going to be disappointed. We're going to fall and we're going to fail. That's what happens on Malta. This is good. This is bad. That's what happens throughout the entire book of Acts. And it's what happens in our story. And what Paul is there showing is that Jesus Christ, not him, he is our security. I mean, how much has he talked about that? How many times has, has he said, you know, what, what can man do to me? How many times in Paul's life has he said, man, it's not mine. 
Church, do you understand that as we've walked through the book of Acts, the same story is present at the end as it was in the beginning? All the power for security in your life, for, for the direction in your life, all of it comes from one source, a relationship with the Almighty and His Spirit resting upon you because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. You want security at your work? Bathe it in Jesus. You want security in your home? Bathe it in Jesus. Right? If you want security in your heart, in your life, it's the gospel. In the Old Testament, God is our sanctuary, our fortress, our mighty tower. In the New Testament, he's beloved, he's our redeemer. Every time we look to God, he is security. Church, God didn't make this need in you so that you could try and figure it out and impress him one day when you die. But he created this God-shaped need, void in your life, that when he feels it, you know rest, you know rejoicing, and you know restoration. Have you seen that story through the book of Acts? Men and women thinking they were secure here, the sons of Sceva, the kings, all of them. Christ is our security. It goes on a little further. After the, the viper shaped off, Paul has some engagement with kind of the local leadership there. They have a nice visit for a while. Then they set sail again because they're promised to go to Rome. Look in your Bible with me at verse 17. We're gonna skip down a little bit. And what happens is Paul makes it to Rome. He finds some brothers and this is where we, we find them. Verse 20, 17 through 22. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me and wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case, but because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Though I had no charge to bring against my nation, for this reason I have to see you and speak with you since because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this verse 21 and they said to him we have received no letters from Judea about you and none of your brothers coming here has reported uh, or spoken any evil about you but we desire to hear from you what your views are for with regard to this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against you see the moment I read this the moment I saw significance I mean, I mean, here's Paul. He has been a hot button. When he walks into town, everybody knows it and people are angry before he arrives. Like, have you ever been around someone that when they're on their way, they don't have to be in your presence yet, but you're already agitated? If that's your spouse, don't turn right now. But, but have you had that moment? This is Paul's story. Wherever he goes, there's people lying in wait ready to come after him and he makes it to Rome the capital where he is most certainly sure that the Jews have gotten there first they've already started rubbing his reputation in the mud and he gets there and he calls them together he makes this incredible offense defense of himself and they say we don't know what you're talking about 
Can you imagine this moment? So in my journal, the, the two words, the phrase that I write down more than any other phrase is slow down. There, there's so many times when I'll be, I'll run through scripture because I want to get to a word and dig deep into a word or I want to get to a point or whatever. I want to get to somewhere. And, and I write slow down because you're going to miss something amazing if you rush to where you think you need to go. So when you and I slow down in this moment, I want you to see how significance starts to rise, has to show itself again as a need. Here Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, studied under Gamaliel. Everywhere he goes, the biggest kid wants to come on the playground and challenge him to a fight. You with me? Because if they can knock him down, then they're the new big kid on the playground. And, and up to this point, they've thrown rocks at him. They've said bad things about him. They've set ambushes for him. Everywhere he goes, he's the kid everybody wants to push over on the playground, even to, to where they put him in jail and he sat before kings. And he said, here's the deal. Everybody's challenging me because the gospel I'm talking about. And he gets to Rome and he says, Where's the big kid? Because I'm here because of the gospel. And the Jews say, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. You see, church, there's a key to understanding significance. We're invited, but he's important. You see, there's significance in that, in that moment to realize that you and I are invited into God's story. We're not inviting him into ours. We're accepting his invitation to join his. And, and we wanna be mindful. That's a huge difference. When, when Peter was, was seeing the visions of the food dropping down, God wasn't saying, let me into your heart, Peter. He was saying, Peter, go out and live in my story. When they were loosened from the jail and preaching in the, in the streets, when, when, when Paul was told, don't talk about God, he said, no, 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 no. I, I can't be quiet because it's not my story. It, it's, it's not my life. This is why he pins the words. I've been bought with a price. It's not me. And if Paul's writing out his story, if it's about him being significant, do you think he adds things to his life like, get stoned multiple times and left for dead do you do you think in his story he would write when you go places hope that people hate you get shipwrecked if it was about paul if it was about peter and their definition of significance and a man-centered focus, do you believe that the book of Acts would be the story that it is? Of course not. But it's not Paul's story that he finds significance in. It wasn't Peter's story. It wasn't the church's story. It was God's story. For you will be my witnesses. That's what the Lord says to us. So as he finds himself in this place and he's just put this all out, I just imagine this moment when they say, Paul, not only do we not know anything about you, what we do know is that this sect of Judaism, this off-branch radical teaching about Jesus Christ 
Everybody is angry about it. It's turning everything upside down. It's messing everything up. People are speaking against it. And we want to hear what you have to say. Church, Paul's significance is found by decreasing his role in the story. Makes you think back to the words of John the Baptist. When he talks about Jesus and how he's baptizing more than him, John says in John chapter 3, he must increase, right? And by that definition, I'm decreasing. You see, church, if we're fighting to increase our significance in our home, I want you to look at the place that sin leads you. You and your wife, this is a great marital counseling day. You and your wife, you both wanna be the most significant person in your home. Do you know where that leads? There's only one way that leads if you're both the most significant person in your home. Where does it lead? Separation, right? You both can't be the most significant person. If your kids are the most significant people in your home, guess where that leads? Destruction. You wanna be the most significant person at work. By definition, what does that mean? You have to make others less. You see, if you and I seek significance in our own story, by definition, we walk a path to destruction. And that's what Paul has been saying since the beginning. That's what Peter has been living since the beginning. That's what Jesus said. It's not about your significance because all of your significance is found in me. And when our significance is found in Christ, then we have a significance that cannot be taken away. Prison, stoned, jailed, hated, spoken, lied against, whatever it is, Paul's significance never waned. His security never faltered. Why? Because he was tethered to a real story instead of trying to tether God to his story. Church, if you have been looking at Christ, at God's word, inversely, then there's no better moment than this moment to say, God, I don't want you in my story. I want to be wrapped up in yours. Because that story can't be altered. That story can't be shaken. That story can't be broken so let me decrease and let you increase church. These two needs that are in every man and woman, security and significance are wrapped up, protected and grounded in God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The story of the son of God coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross and defeating death in the grave so that he could be our great high priest, so that he could be our redeemer. So what is our role as we live in this? What does it look like to be God's witnesses? Well, look a little further. The Bible says this in verse 23. When they'd appointed a day for him, they came to his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others did not believe. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. And here's the statement. 
Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. You'll, you will, for this people's heart has grown dull and their ears, they can barely hear. Their eyes, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand in their heart and turn. And turn. And I would heal them. Let therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Church, how do we witness? How do we live for Christ? We simply deliver what he offers. Remember, it's not your story, so God doesn't need your help. He's invited you in as a helper, not as someone to counsel him or give him advice. You see, the word of God is powerful enough because the word of the gospel and all these things that here's the deal, it's about turning. It's about turning your life away from what you think makes you significant. It's about turning your heart away from the things that you've given your life to make you secure in. It's about turning your life and handing over your dreams, your thoughts, your passions, your hopes, your fears. It's about turning over control. See, listen to the words of Christ. God has promised him all those given to his hand. I will never leave you or forsake you. See, to follow Christ means to sacrifice, to sacrifice your goal of significance to sacrifice your, your shot at security for the promise of it, for the certainty of it, from, from the beginning of Acts to the end. And, and Paul's not perfect, but, but in this moment, something I think pretty powerful happens because Paul lives in a way he would not have dreamed of or had imagined. Paul, who, who found out, God, you are my all in all. You're my everything. At the very end of Acts, I want you to know how it ends. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, boldness and what? Without hindrance. for the first time since he gave his life to Christ every foe was defeated every man that came to silence him was silenced and his story ends with just words about the mission the gospel his significance teach about the Lord Jesus Proclaim the kingdom of God. So what does Acts tell us? Jesus Christ, the gospel, the power from God for salvation is worth everything you've got. Every plan, every dream, every talent. And when you lean into him as Lord, 
when you really submit to him, he is faithful to the end. Who can stand against our God? No one. Who, who can throw a monkey wrench in the plans of the Almighty? No one. You will be my witnesses even to the ends of the earth. And we end this story with God saying, see, I am trustworthy and true. Church, this morning of our time of response, maybe you have never known significance and security that was so airtight and locked down. Maybe you've been wrestling to find it. Church, this morning, there's one place, there's one story, the story of Jesus Christ where it can be found. But it will not be found by, by just a 50-50 relationship with him. It will not be found in, in just a half-hearted moment or commitment to him. It's giving up on yourself to give everything to him. That's what lordship looks like. And if you're living for him and you've been struggling or wrestling, look to Paul's life as an example, as an encouragement. And look how it ends. God's mission will be fulfilled and you will know how good he is. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. Father God, in this moment, I pray that you would let the totality of your story impact us and change us. Lord, I, I know there's not a person listening that doesn't need security, that doesn't need significance. And I praise you for that desire. But Father God, I pray that you would allow us to pick our chin up and to look in the eyes of our Father, of our Lord, of our King and see our security and see our significance. And Lord, if there's a person with an earshot of this who has never known that reality, Father, this morning, would you call them to you and invite them into your story? In Jesus' name.